This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday for another hour of old-time radio crime, as you'll find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story this week comes from Barry Craig, confidential investigator. It's the sneak assassin, his story from November 21st, 1954. After that, it's Richard Diamond, private detective, and the enigma of Big Ed, his story from April 4th, 1952. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Here a guy called the deep type. It might be more a matter of geography than mentality. How deep is his grave? The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Harry Craig speaking. Work is where you find it. When the case of Harry Jarvis fell into my lap, I was 900 miles from home base. Motoring south along the Florida Highway. My destination, Miami. I wanted to see how horses were treating men at the big winter track. My usual annual stopover, about 100 miles this side of Miami, was a motel. The Happy Traveler Motel big neon sign said, a 16-cabin setup complete with hot showers and television, run by two partners, Mo Birch and Harry Jarvis. I knew the two of them way back. They'd run a custom haberdashery in New York once, before going south to change their luck. Inside, I found Mo, but missed Harry. The last I seen Harry, he said goodbye. For keeps, Mo? Yeah. After you two being inseparable for ten years? Twelve a business partnership's like a marriage. Sooner or later, it gets tired. There's a divorce. Now, one way of looking at it. Who saw it first? You or Harry? Harry. You heard the words faithful unto death? Who hasn't? That's me. I'm a sentimental slob, Craig. Uh, to change the subject, how's business? You saw my vacancy signs driving in? Yeah. Then tell yourself the answer. Business is lousy. I thought the Happy Traveler Motel was a going concern. It was until Harry demanded his half-interest in cash. Oh, the books couldn't liquidate Harry's claim and still balance, huh? Harry put $30,000 in his pocket. There wasn't even enough left to pay the towel and linen service. So where do you go from here? I don't know. You loved Harry. We knew ups and downs. Times were tough. We shared a crust of bread. Times were good. We bought each other diamond stiff pins. Then what's really got you worried about Harry? Last spring, Harry married a cabaret girl, a Kiki Adams. A singer in a roadhouse. I didn't know that. A homely shrimp like Harry, 44 years old, not a hair on his bald head, taking a young cabaret chicken for a wife. 44 is the dangerous age for men, they say. A crack opens in your head. Yeah, and other things, Craig. The people Harry began to go around with a bop musician, a hornblower with a crazy name, Bigelow Bernie. And uh, a gangster in the silk suit. Gangster in the silk suit? Tony Saxon. They ran him out of New York. They ran him out of Miami. They ran Tony Saxon out of uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Nevada, and Dubuque. Uh, it could only be my imagination, something out of my nervousness for Harry, but the last days before we dissolved partnership, to me, Harry had a frightened look, like like he was... Scared for his life? Yeah. And another strange thing... Yeah. He took his money and went. He had a bus ticket for Key West, he said. The bus at 6 o'clock that night. But I asked the driver the next day, Krogan, the driver. He stops over here to grab a bite and wash up. How did Harry look to him on the bus, I asked. But no, Harry. Krogan said Harry never got on that bus. You find it mysterious? What I find more mysterious is that Harry's wife, Kiki Adams, is still right here in town. In the same furnished apartment they rented last spring. Maybe Harry ditched her. Crazy the way he was over her? Impossible. Also, thinking from the angle of the wife, the cash opportunity she grabbed when she married the poor fish, Harry. Harry's 30000 in cash. Exactly. I ask you, would Kiki let a gold mine slip away on a bus? Craig, I need some help. 
Well, I figured only to stay overnight. Stick around, Craig. Find Harry for me. All right, I'll stay a few days. Try to find out what did happen to him. What cabin have I got? Cabin four of the best. You get washed up, Craig. Then I'll broil you a steak. Free. On the house. Two and a half pounds of porterhouse steak later, with my stomach a foot in front of me, I went calling on Kiki Adams. 212 Elm Street. I had directions on me written out by Mo Birch. Drive east across the railroad track, then north one quarter of a mile past the county jail. One quarter of a mile past the county jail, I stopped. 212 Elm Street was a two-story frame building sandwiched between an abandoned schoolhouse and a plumbing supply wholesaler. A big front door with Isinglass slits on it and a brass knocker. I banged the knocker a little while, and then I tried the doorknob. I made less progress there. The doorknob came off in my hand. <laughs> a situation like that can become embarrassing. This one did. All right, drop it, Sam. It? The doorknob, Sam. I saw you cop it. You misjudge me, friend. I'm on the steps there beating my feet. I got a cold eye on you, Sam. You're low down jelly belly to the grass. Jelly belly? Hey, what kind of jive? Bigelow Bernie, Sam. And don't scratch your violin at me. Bigelow Bernie? I've heard about you. You're the bop musician. Hey, man, who's been scatting scandal about Bigelow Bernie? Never mind who's been scatting. Look, I'm a detective. Harry Craig. I'm here to visit a lady, Mrs. Harry Jarvis. Kiki, huh? My eye's getting colder, Sam. Where can I find Kiki Adams, Mrs. Harry Jarvis? At the Downbeat. The Downbeat? That the club she works in? That is. Thanks. You go back to beating your feet. And while you're mooning over Blue Mama Kiki, keep one fact in mind, huh? Shoot me, Sam. Kiki is supposed to be another man's wife. Put that in your horn and blow it, music man. <laughs> I caught up with Kiki a half hour before her cabaret act commenced. She was in her dressing room, doing back bends. Say, you're wasting calisthenics, lady. Strengthening your back muscles won't do a thing for your voice. Uh, I'm off the singing bit, lover. Oh? Yeah. So many canaries around. Every kid out of high school. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, I get trampled in the mob. So I worked out a specialty number. Acrobatics, obviously. Well, more than that. I do a back bend while tooting on the sack. See it? Vividly. While in the back bend, there's a glass of bubbling champagne on the floor. You get off the sacks and drink the champagne. Without spilling the drop. Will the act get me to Miami? Unquestionably. <sighs> Who'd you say you were, lover? Barry Craig. Sagittarius? Sagittarius? Your astrology sign. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Taurus the bull, I think. Taurus. Hmm. What I do? Yeah. You can be favorable for me. Okay, lover, it's a date. After my 12 o'clock turn, whistle me over. A low, sweet whistle, lover. Now scram, huh, so I can practice? I got to drive Kiki home after her 12 midnight turn was extended to, uh, upstairs. Make yourself comfortable. To do that, I'd have to take off my shoes. Be my guest. Well, how you like my home, sweet home? Charming. Wow. The crummy dump. It could use a coat of paint. It could use a match. I know the answer. What? Move. <laughs> Tell that to my husband. I will. Where is he? Harry's away on a trip. Oh. Lover, I want to set you straight. On? How you got here. Well, you invited me. To pass the time socially. I'm a night owl, not a butterfly. Have I made a pass, doll? No, not yet. So why the sermon? <laughs> I got a canned speech I use on guys I pick up with. All right, finish it. I don't like talking to myself when I get home after the show. I tried being an introvert once. I don't like it. You're up here only for conversation, lover. In the canned speech. <laughs> All right, if I made a speech now? <laughs> speech. Exactly where is Harry Jarvis? Uh, why should you care? I'm worried about him. Worried? You know my husband? I do. Know him and like him. Yes, his nose. You never asked me why I popped into your life. No, I assumed you were just another John looking to get acquainted. I looked you up on Harry's account. 
To put it simply, I'm a detective. A detective? With Harry on your mind? Yes. Why? What's with Harry? He isn't around. Well, I told you he's away on a trip. You fail to say where. Where? Well, I don't know. Well, you're his wife. Well, sure, but he didn't say where he was off to. I didn't even see him when he left. I was at the club. There was a note waiting for me when I got home that night. Well, what did the note say? Say? Call away for a few days, something like this. Well, when was this? We... No, eight days ago. Where's the note? I got rid of it. What reason do I have to save it? Well, in these eight days, has Harry contacted you? No. And you didn't find that strange? Well, I guess I did a little, but... But? Uh, this may shock you. I'm shockproof. It was a relief with Harry away, so I didn't worry too much about his silence. You see, Harry's in his middle age. But you That's... married him. Yeah, I did. Why? Why? <laughs> Search me, I ask myself. I'm going to ask you a big question now. Get on record with an honest answer and you'll thank yourself sometime. What's the big question? Did you know Harry had liquidated his half-interest in the Happy Traveler Motel? That on or about eight days ago, Harry had $30,000 in cash on him? Well, I knew he was selling out in the motel. I know he'd already done it without the cash. Something happened to Harry? Until I know better, I'm proceeding on that premise, Mrs. Jarvis. I left Kiki to waste her fragrance on the four walls of the flat. Downstairs, I ran into a familiar figure. Back sitting on the next door schoolhouse steps, busy, quote, beating his time. The bop musician, Bigelow Bird. You're real low down, jelly belly to the grass, Sam. <laughs> I don't rate the cold eye, Bernie. I, I did nothing but converse with Kiki upstairs. It's still you and her husband in the field. I mean, if Passionflower upstairs still has a husband. Uh, what's your thought about that, Bernie? Harry will be home. Then, uh, why do you sit outside here beating your time and mooning over Kiki? Another man's wife, and no chance for yourself, you can see. I got an answer for you, Sam. I'm dying to hear it. You see up there where I'm pointing? That flat under Kiki's? Yeah. I live there, Sam. I'm beating my time down here because I live up there. Bernie. Yes, Sam. What if it turns out Harry Jarvis is never coming home to Kiki? He left her? Could be, no. Oh, never. Okay, so Kiki's one dish a man doesn't walk out on. But suppose Harry doesn't ever come home for a wholly different reason. Man, only one reason would keep Harry from coming home. Okay, anticipate me. Go ahead. He'd have to be dead, Sam. Real gone. And is that what you mean by Harry not coming home? That's exactly what I mean. That Harry's dead? Dead. With you out in front now in the grab for Blue Mama. You hitting around and maybe I killed Harry? I'm asking you, uh... Would you kill Harry Jarvis? No, and oh, man. Then finger somebody for me. Somebody who would kill Harry. Well, you were supposing before, now you're not. I've given up supposing. Come, Bernie, help the law and you help yourself. Well, man, if Harry is dead, there's only one man I know who... Who is this man? The sport in a silk suit. Tony Saxon? The man, Tony Saxon. Why would Saxon want to kill Harry Jarvis? Money, Sam. Harry was into Tony Saxon for money. Gambling debts? Tony Saxon is a gambler. Where do I find Saxon in this town? Three acres. That's the Fieldstone house on Chestnut and Raleigh. Man, Harry is dead, huh? That's my morbid surmise. Say, all right for me to go comfort the widow? I'd say it's more decent to wait until the corpse confirms that fact. You know, I'm glad I had this talk with you, Sam. No more feeling low down, jelly belly the grass, huh? Oh, no, I'm high in the stars, Sam, on a happiness jag. You sure go for Kiki. Oh, she's under my skin, Sam, under my quivering skin. Blue Mama Bigelow Bernie's blowing a high note tonight. I left Bigelow Bernie swinging in the trees and went to look up Tony Saxon. A field stone house. The house was lit up like the people inside it were afraid of the dark. 
every room inside and floodlights outside on the big lawn. To get in, you had to pass through a fence, what looked like an electric fence, to keep prowlers and police at bay. I looked for a buzzer, but couldn't find one for the life of me. While wondering how to get in, somebody solved the riddle for me. <laughs> a how-do-you-do from behind that closed my eyes. came to with something rattling in my ears. The rattling of bone like teeth. When I got my eyes open enough, I saw what it was. Chips. Ivory gambling chips on a green dice table. I was stretched out on the dice table. He's up six and thirty-two. You win, Morty. Pick up your money. A sport in a black silk suit. Tony Saxon. Uh, what's this six and thirty-two, mister? The time it took you to come to, we made a bet on it here. Me and Morty and Fatso. A bet on how long I'd be out? I said ten minutes. Fatso there said eight. Morty's bet was six minutes. You were out six minutes and thirty-two seconds on my stopwatch. Morty's bet. Morty there owes me a cut for cooperating. Beat it, boys. But not too far. I'll beat it just far enough to be able to keep me covered, fellas. We don't shoot fish in barrels, Craig. Then give me a running start if you really want to be sportsmanlike. You got death on the brain, Craig. Craig. You keep calling me Craig. Your name. You know. Your wallet says so does your police license. Did you restore everything back to my pockets in good order? Everything except your gun. You get that on your way out. Irene in the main foyer. She has your hat and your gun. So tell me. Uh, one of the boys, Fatso, there saw you prowling outside. He figured you were a lonesome stick-up case in three acres. He tapped you. My head doesn't just feel tapped. What happened to all the light? Lights? The place was all lit up six and thirty-two ago. We turned them off. What happened to all the players? You're pretty smart. Smart enough to know you had a few games going here. Fatso didn't figure me a stick-up. He figured me a cop spelling a raid. You tapped me out until you shooed your guests home. I won't admit it or deny it. What can I do for you? Hand over the corpse of Harry Jarvis. Harry Jarvis is dead. I'll make book. Dead, but no corpse. Not yet. That's bad news, if true. You lost a friend? A debtor. Harry owes me 20000 His paper. Maybe you owe his estate 10000 How's that? The last Harry was seen, he had $30,000 on him. Good night, Craig. Morty, show Craig out. Hold up here behind an electric fence, uh, after being thrown out of as many states as I can name. Uh, who do you pay protection to, Saxon? Grandma Jones. Grandma Jones? My landlady. I rent three acres from her. Good night, Craig. Find Harry, let me know. A client of mine dies, I like to wire flowers. Outside Saxon's fortress wall, I found fresh company. A chap parked in my car, sprawled on the rear seat. He looked dead until he spoke. Don't you be alarmed, friend. You better be alarmed. I'm pointing a gun at you. Well, put it away. My name's Frawley. Bill Frawley. I'm the law here in Northgate. That is all the law they got this side of the county seat. Why don't you put the gun away? When I see the badge. Hmm. Here it is. See, I was by a spruce across the street a while before. When that Saxton croupier came down on your head. You just watched the show? Well, now, I'm the law, but I'm peacefully inclined when it comes to Saxton's gang. He's the county commissioner's problem, and I got my complaint about Saxton up with Commissioner Hawkins right now. Besides, I was standing under that spruce with other things claiming my part. What other things? Harry Jarvis, is he dead? What's your answer to it? Dead. Same conclusion you came to, friend. How do you know? Well, see, I was talking to Bigelow Bernie after you talked to him. Oh, I see. <laughs> I got something down at the jailhouse now that kind of proves Harry Jarvis is dead. You have to come see? I do. You started up. Northgate Jailhouse was a clapboard-framed shack a march wind could blow off its foundation. It had an office and a cell that could accommodate two overnight guests. At the moment, the room was a single, one prisoner. 
fast asleep on a cot. He's what I brought you to see, Craig. The prisoner? Him. Looks like a hobo. That's the trade he claims. Says his name's Dusty Ames. What does he do besides sleep? Loves to cuss you out. He hadn't ate now for three days. Turned down chicken yesterday and today. How come? Hunger strike. He wants his constitutional rights. Those being? Freedom. Freedom. Put him back on the road, he said. Three days, you said. Uh, what do you do here in Northgate? Throw away the keys? Well, I'm waiting for the wagon to come take him to the candlestick now. He'll get his hearing there. How does he connect with Harry Jolly? Well, see the clothes on? Yeah. The striped and blue suit? <laughs> Those yellow shoes? Well, who can miss them? I know the suit and yellow shoes like they're my own. Harry's clothes. This Dusty Ames was wearing Harry Jarvis's clothes when I picked him up over in Route 9. When Dusty Ames came awake, he began to howl. I want my rights. I'm a Federalist. President McKinley will hear about this. He does. You have a miracle on your hands. Look, Dusty, if you've got any wits, collect them. Wits? Why, sir, I was professor of cosmological dialectics in Katy Did College. But the road got into your blood, huh? The call of the wild Mackinac. So you turned in your cap and gown. Took to the open highway. And killed a man here in Northgate. That's a lie. You're in his clothes? I found those clothes, sir. We've been asking you where. I wouldn't tell the sheriff. Why should I tell you? Because when it comes down to it, I'm going to beat it out of you. Civilized man always reverts to the beast. Your predecessor in those clothes was a dear friend of mine, Dusty. A dear friend? A man's greatest possession in a cold, materialistic world. Sir, I have a poem right here in my pocket. After the fashion of Edgar Guest. Ah, I'll read it. No matter where the road may go. I'll always think of dear friend Joe. The bullfinch of the open road finally showed us where he found himself a new wardrobe. A tree hollow in the piney woods. The clothes were right in there, sir. Wrapped in tar paper set to burn. See the cinders? Yeah, I see them. Hmm. I had a time brushing suit off the bundle. Clothes smelled of smoke when I put them on. Some clothes have been burned. I find bits of charred fabric. And these, Sheriff? Shirt buttons. Yeah, some clothes had burned and something stifled the fire. Wind, maybe. Or the fire simply choked. Too much stuff on it, smothering it. How did you come on it, Dusty? I had my repast to tend to. It caught me a stray chicken. Fat little thing, six pounds. Looked around for a tree hollow to cook my supper. When you changed into the new clothes, what did you do with your own rags? Hung them to a tree. What for? As a sign that Dusty Ames had come through. A sign that there were stray chickens in these parts. A sign for other hobos. Live and let live. Craig. Sure? Harry Jarvis is buried here in Piney Forest. Yeah, looks like. How big is Piney Forest? Bigger than Northgate Township. Close to 400 acres. Meaning we'd need a regiment to unearth the body here. It needs more manpower than Northgate's got. We could appeal to the state governor for National Guard. No. We may not need to. Not need to turn up the body hired, Jarvis? The time and labor and agony. We might be able to avoid all that. How's that? See if we can get the murderer to find the body for us. Now, that'd be a trick. Trick is exactly what I have in mind. Yeah. We'll try to make a trick do for manpower, Sheriff. I briefed Sheriff Frawley on what I wanted him to do. I'm to let the word get out that we got ourselves an eyewitness. That your hobo prisoner let Arnie to see the actual murder and burial in Piney Forest. Now, who do I let the word out to? The town elder and the town idiot. Just so the news percolates. Just so it reaches uh, Kiki Adams, Tony Saxon, and that bop musician. Bigelow Bernie. <laughs> I know what. What? I'll step into that downbeat club and have some beer. No, ain't nothing like a bar room for loosening the man's tongue. Yeah, you do that. Now, when the word does percolate, uh, 
I still ain't exactly clear. Our phony eyewitness right off becomes a marked man. A killer, whoever he is, must pull a repeat performance. Till Dusty Ames. Yes, yes. Oh, the wool around your brain. Well, I still don't see. Dusty Ames is safe in the jailhouse. Safe? (laughs) A nine-year-old boy can get into your jailhouse, Sheriff. Just provide him with a dime can opener. Besides, you won't make it tough for the killer to get in. I won't? No. Front door unlatched. Just the cell door closed. With Dusty Ames, a sitting duck in a cage. Easiest target in the world. A dream pigeon. Now, get on it, Sheriff. Sometimes it plays exactly according to script. Sometimes it doesn't. This time it did. I could hear the village chimes when the silhouette appeared at the jail window. Head and shoulders and face with no identity to it in the pitch dark. I was in the office under the desk. A neat hunk of gymnastics considering my size. It was more than two minutes before the killer dared to try the door. His feet were six inches from my nose when he stopped dead center in the office. I had to imagine the rest. My line of vision was too low now. I imagined him estimating the sleeping figure of Dusty Ames. Estimating how to make his shots effective. I didn't wait for the murder of the hobo. I just took aim at a 45-degree angle from the floor and shot my pigeon in the leg. That's a killer. It's time for rejoicing. But I didn't feel that way this time. I only felt like getting drunk. It kept me like a fox playing games with a rabbit. How's your leg, Moe? On fire. Why didn't you aim higher? Moe... Why did you ask me to find Harry? I asked you to find Harry to demonstrate to me how safe I was. I decided to make a test with you, a smart New York detective. If you couldn't catch me, nobody could. I could stop worrying. Well, you gave me a demonstration. You killed Harry for $30,000. You've got it stashed away. I killed Harry because I was too old to start over again. We made our life together, and Harry was condemning me to death. Bankruptcy isn't death, Mo. At my age, it is. In my condition, it positively is. Your condition? Heart, liver, kidneys. Inside, I'm like a bombed-out Berlin. It was no time for me to start all over being young and ambitious. Mo, my thought is you're a little off. No, my. Say I'm worn out in the world, that's all. Just say that at 53, I, Mulbert, got so confused, I fired a gun at Harry Jarvis. I want to know where you buried him, Mo. Sure. You want to know, and I'll tell you. Right now, I'm... I think. Sometimes you take no pleasure in the catch... Sometimes all you want to do is get drunk. You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from The Adventures of Barry Craig. Confidential Investigator. Tonight's story, The Sneak Assassin, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story of Sweet Goddess of Murder, about which Barry Craig has this to say. In next week's story, Sweet Goddess of Murder, the fur flies thick and homicidally when a lovesick furrier designs a dream jacket for his ever-hating wife. A straight jacket, that would be... The National Broadcasting Company has just brought you an NBC Radio Network production with William Gargan, starring as Barry Craig, confidential investigator, directed by Arthur Jacobson. Also heard were Parley Bear, Herb Ellis, Betty Lou Gerson, Marvin Miller, and Joe Cranston. Eddie King speaking. Follow the Abbots in another exciting mystery tonight on most NBC radio stations.
The makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. cigarette do doctors themselves smoke? In a nationwide survey a few years ago, 113,597 doctors, doctors in every branch of medicine were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? The brand name most was Camel. Again and again in repeated surveys, the same preference was shown. Yes, these surveys show that more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Why don't you smoke camels, too? Now we bring you another transcribed adventure with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Now, let's see. I play the red nine on the black ten. Move the eight of spades off this pile and put it over here. That gives me another king. Hmm. Where's the three clubs? I'll sneak a look under here. I... No, ain't there. Hello? Now, I'll be with you in a minute. I really suppose that's three o'clock. Uh, oh, well. Diamond Detective Agency. Anyone for Pinochle? You'd quit as soon as you'd won one game. Won one game? That's nice and confusing, isn't it? Helen, baby, I wouldn't admit this to anyone but you, but I haven't even come close. I was afraid of that. Have you tried stacking the deck? Helen, that's cheating. I know, but have you tried it? Well, just once. But only in self-defense, and even that didn't help, I still lost. Well, then I'm afraid you're hopeless. Why not give it up and come over here? We could play some gin. Oh, no. I owe you 1,369 toothpicks now. That rate will have to buy a lumber camp. You there on the telephone. Me? Yeah, you the boss? Well, no, not exactly. I'm just the owner. That's good enough. If that's somebody wanting to hire you, tell him to call back. Greg, is that man ordering you around? He's trying. You hear me? I said tell him to call back. Now, just a minute. That's right, killer. Stand up to him. We don't have to take no guff. Well, honey, I wish you were here so we could get a look at the size of it. You gonna hang up or not? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir? Richard Diamond, did you say yes, sir? Yes, sir. I, I, I mean, yes, ma'am. I mean, oh, oh, bye. Bye, Helen, dear. Okay. You said you were the owner of this outfit? That means your name's Diamond? Uh, yes, sir. My name's Ed Barton, Diamond. Uh, don't bother shaking hands, because I got a hunch you ain't going to go for the deal I'm laying down. That way, there won't be any hard feelings. Uh, Reason I say that is because I've already been to three or four of you guys, and they didn't go for it. For my money, you're all a bunch of lilies. Well, look, Mr. Barton, you don't... Now, don't get me wrong. That ain't saying you're like the rest of them. Truth of the matter is, I hope you ain't. The deal I got to offer takes a guy with a little backbone. Well, suppose you tell me what the deal is before you get too involved with my sacrilege. You've heard of the Barton Metalworks? Well, that's me. I'm the boss. Started out 15 years ago with a forge and an anvil. Today, I got over 40 men working for me, turning out some pretty big jobs. Contracts a lot of these guys around town would give their eye teeth for. If it's made of metal, Barton will make it. That's my model. Well, that's as good as some of mine. Go ahead. Diamond, it took me a long time to get this thing going the way I want it. And now, somebody's trying to mess it up for me. Trouble is, I don't know how much longer I can hold out. Loyalty is one thing, and staying with the sinking ship is something else again. Uh, very well said, Mr. Barton. Now, would you like to tell me what it means? Uh, four men quit on me yesterday, Diamond. Six the day before, and no telling how many today. Word's getting around that the plant is jinxed. Must be a pretty good reason for it, Mr. Barton. Men don't give up their living over a superstition. Of course there's a reason for it. Why do you think I'm here? You tell me. Because I've had two accidents down at the plant in the past four weeks. Two men killed in less than a month. That's a lot of accidents, Diamond. Yeah, does seem to be stretching things a little. So now, just because of that, the whole plant's supposed to be bad luck. Diamond, my production's beginning to slack off. Mm-hmm. Well, just how accidental were these accidents? Mm, craziest things you ever heard of. Mike O'Brien tripped and fell over a steel rod. Larry Martin got in the way of the big hammer. 
Just one fool thing after another. Somebody's out to do me dirt, Diamond, and they're trying to get at me through the plant. Yeah, but why, Mr. Barton? How do I know why? They just are, that's all. Don't ask me if I got any enemies. I probably got more enemies than any man on the face of the earth. People just don't like me. Can't understand that, soft-spoken fellow like you. So, uh, the idea is you want to hire me to go down there and see who's out to get you, huh? That's right. Got a job already picked out for you down at the plant. You mean I have to work, too? Uh, certainly. You don't think I'm going to pay you just to run around asking a lot of fool questions, do you? No, no, I, I, I guess you wouldn't, Mr. Barton. Well, how about it? You going to back down, too? Mr. Barton, thanks to you, my girl already thinks I'm a coward. Looks like there's only one way to change your mind. Big Ed Barton came as close to a grin as he probably ever would, dumped a tidy retainer on my desk, and stuck out his hand. Coward that I am, I took off my ring and lost five fingers somewhere inside of his calloused palm. The bargain being sealed, Big Ed then drove me down to the plant. Miller, this here's Richard Diamond. Private eye I told you I was getting. Aye. All right. Get him some clothes and put him on it right away. This is Steve Miller, Diamond, my foreman. Oh. And this guy gets a hundred a day, Steve. See that he earns it. <laughs> I don't mind Big Ed, Mr. Diamond. He means well, but if it isn't made of metal, he doesn't understand it. Yeah, I wonder how he'd react to a Geiger counter. Uh, which way is the locker room, Mr. Miller? Uh, down this way, Diamond. Oh, and just call me Steve. Oh, sure, sure. A nice little place you got here. Being foreman must keep you pretty busy. Full-time job, all right. I, uh, suppose Ed told you what he wants you to do. Yep. Wait for an accident to happen to me. Yeah, that's about the size of it. Whoever's behind this will try to get rid of you right away. Oh, isn't there something else we could talk about? Income tax or the war or something pleasant like that? <laughs> sure. Oh, a locker room's right in here. Good. Uh, Big Ed and I have both gone over the entire personnel looking for a possible suspect. But just about everybody down here has been with us over five years. With the plant, that is. Mm. Well, Big Ed seems to think he's got a lot of enemies, Steve. Oh, it's just his way, Diamond. Ed hasn't any more enemies than the next fella. Oh, here. Here's some stuff that ought to fit you. Oh, thanks. That's quite a uniform you fellows wear. Uniform? Oh, the overalls, you mean. Oh, not so bad after you get used to them. Oh, how long have you been wearing them, Steve? Well, most of my life, I guess. I was practically born in front of a forge. My father was a blacksmith. All right. How long have you been with Big Ed? From the beginning, since before he moved out of the old shop into the plant here. Of course, I haven't always been foreman. That's only happened in the last... Oh, hi, Fred. Come in for a smoke. Diamond, meet Fred Larson. He... Hey, what's the matter, Fred? I'm quitting, Steve. Quitting? That's what I said. Oh, now, wait a minute, Fred. Save your breath. My mind's made up. Oh, I see. So it's even got to you. Uh, uh, uh look, Fred. Who's he? Someone who isn't afraid to get down into the furnace room and take over Larry Martin's spot at the hammer. Diamond here knows the place isn't jinx, don't you? Well, I... Better not answer that until you've been here a while, brother. I just about had it a couple of minutes ago myself. You? How, Fred? What happened? Raylan gave way up on number five catwalk. Right there where the plates are stored. What? That's what I said. If it hadn't been for that scaffolding, I'd have cashed in right then. But those railings are always given out, Fred. You know that. It's been happening for years. Yeah. But this one just came too close. I ain't stopping to pick up my check, Steve. Mail it to me. Well, those railings aren't indestructible, Diamond. They, they just wear out. Mm -hmm. What was he talking about? Plates. Oh, I'll show you when we get up there. Number five catwalks right above the big hammer. Oh, all right. Now I'm all dressed. How do I look? Uh, on second thought, don't answer that. <laughs> Oh, here's the place Fred was talking about, Diamond. Hmm. Guess I can't blame him for quitting. Would have been a nasty fall. Yeah. Hey, what's this stuff under the catwalk, Steve? Oh, those are the plates. They're too heavy to lug back and forth, so we just store them up here on the scaffolding. Oh, I see. You mean I'm going to work down there, under these things? That's where Big Ed told me to put you, Diamond. Now, he's the boss. Yeah, I guess that's right. If I ever forget it, I guess he'll come around and remind me. Well, that hammer's a pretty big piece of equipment, isn't it? Sure is. But the work you'll do isn't hard. The plates come out of the furnace hot. It's your job to flatten them out. All you have to do is flip a switch on the hammer and roll the plates. Roll the plates? Well, 
After that climb, I may not even be able to flip the switch. <laughs> Otto! Yes, Dibby? That's Otto Schmidt. He'll handle the furnace for you. Well, looks like he could handle the whole factory. Hello, Stevie. Is your fellow going to take Larry's place? That's right, Otto. Rick Diamond, Otto Schmidt. Howdy, Otto. Hello. He's a new man, Otto. Never worked in a shop before. Yeah, I see that. Well, don't worry. I take care of him. Uh, just how do you mean that? <laughs> now, take it easy, Otto. Production isn't as important as safety right now. Remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember, Stevie. Now, you'll be working all alone down here, Diamond. Just you and Otto. Oh, uh, swell. The main thing is to keep your eyes open. Yeah, that's right. All right, Otto. You can take over now. Yeah, yeah. I take over now. You like it, yeah? Yeah. Uh, just don't get too close to Hammer. Uh, no home should be without one. It's great for straightening nails, pounding out meat. Yeah. Uh, maybe pound out home, too. Uh, you think maybe you stay? Sure. Why not, Otto? Uh, you not scared, huh? Should I be? Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. What kind of work you do before? Delivered telegrams. Say, you pull Otto's leg? With these gloves on, don't be silly. Hey, you better heat up this plate again. This hammer's going crazy or something. What? Uh, look out, Diamond! Look out! Where? What, what, what? Up what? there, up there! Look out for those plates! Jump! 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 Ah! Before we continue with Richard Diamond, here are a few words about smoking enjoyment. Among the many stars whose voices, whose throats are their fortunes, is Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara's cigarette must suit her taste and throat. And that's the reason camels get Maureen O'Hara's vote. Yes, Miss O'Hara tried the different brands and chose camels. Beautiful Maureen found that camels agree with her throat. And Miss O'Hara's only one of the many famous stars who regularly smoke camels. Some of the others are Dick Hames, Dennis O'Keefe, Linda Darnell, Henry Fonda, Vaughn Monroe, and our own Dick Powell. Why don't you take a tip from the famous people whose throats are their fortunes and who smoke camels? Make your own 30-day camel test. Smoke only camels for the next 30 days. Enjoy camels' rich, full flavor, pack after pack. See how well camels agree with your throat, week after week. Camels, smoke camels. And now, back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Well, Big Ed Barton had another accident on his hands. Otto Schmidt. They carried him out of the furnace room in bad shape, but alive. I went up to have a look at number five catwalk. And it took me about 20 minutes up there to decide that it hadn't been any more accidental than my working for Big Ed. Oh, come on in, Diamond. I'll need your signature on this accident report. You know, Steve, I don't think it was an accident. That scaffolding didn't come loose all by itself. Yeah, but I've still got to make out the report. I have a chair. I'll have this finished in a minute. Okay, thanks. You uh, handle the paperwork too, Steve? Yeah, most of it. Anything concerning the plant itself usually falls in my lap. Ed doesn't care much for office work. Well, I guess he would look a little out of character to that. And incidentally, how come that railing on number five catwalk hasn't been fixed yet? Seems to me if Fred Larson quit on the What? It, whose department is that anyway? I reported it to Big Ed as soon as I could. Oh? Well, where's Ed now? Home, I guess. Want me to call and see if he's there? No. No, that's all right. I think I'll just run over and surprise him. What's the address? 105 East Parkview. Big mansion. You can't miss it. 105 East Parkview. Right. I'll sign that report when I get back, Steve. So, what if it wasn't fixed, Diamond? Those railings cost money. I told Steve not to let that plant nickel and dime me to death, and I meant it. Then you purposely let it go. 
Now, wait a minute. I didn't say that. But you don't have to, Barton. You got the report over an hour ago. That's plenty of time to get the work done. Who told you I got the report, Diamond? Now, what difference does it make? You're responsible for the repairs, aren't you? That's right. But don't think you're going to jump all over me, Diamond. Matter of fact, I didn't even know the railing was down until you told me just now. Anyway, I don't see what this has to do with what happened to Otto Schmidt. You don't, huh? Well, I'll tell you, Mr. Barton. Someone got up there where the railing is out and loosened the braces on that scaffolding. If the railing had been up, he wouldn't have been able to reach it. That's a lot of hogwash. I don't believe a thing. I don't expect you to believe me, Barton, but talk to Otto. He saw who was up there. I saw part of him myself just before the plates started falling. You mean Otto saw... That's right. Well, don't look at me. I told you I didn't know anything about that railing. That's your story, Mr. Barton, and you better stick to it. Where do you think you're going? I didn't say I was finished with you yet. No, and I'm not finished with you, Barton. As soon as I've had a talk with Otto, I'm going to take off these overalls and get back into my own clothes, and then you're going to You mean you're your... quitting? Walking out? That's right. Now, don't worry. I'm going to find out who's behind this, but I'm going to do it on my own. In case you haven't gotten the idea, Big Ed, I don't like working for you. <laughs> Otto, Otto, o- open your eyes. I want to talk to you. No, no, no talk. Why? It wasn't an accident, Otto. You know that. No, it was an accident. Don't you want whoever's responsible for this to pay for it? No. What are you afraid of, Otto? Who are you hiding? I'm afraid it's no use, Diamond. For some reason, he just won't talk. Yeah, but why? What's he afraid of? Uh, that's all the time I can let you gentlemen have. You'll have to have some rest now. Uh, just a minute, Doctor. Mrs. Schmidt, talk to him. Will you see if you... No. Otto, don't want to talk. All right, all right. How long did it be before I can see him again, Doctor? Well, that's hard to say. Several hours, anyway. You might check with the front desk later this evening. They can tell you more about it then. All right, thanks. Uh, would one of you mind dropping her off? It's getting late. There's nothing she could do here. I'll take her home, Diamond. You probably feel like a shower and a change of clothes anyway. Uh, thanks, Steve. But uh, I've still got some work to do. I dropped by the Barton Metalworks to get my clothes out of the locker room, but the night watchman wouldn't let me in without a pass. Too tired to argue with him, I hopped a cab to my apartment for a change of clothes. Yeah, but wait till I sit down. I just got in. There's that, Barton. Never mind sitting down. Get over to my house right away. I got something to show you. I thought I told you... I know what you told me, but this is pretty important. All right, what is it? A note. It was in my mailbox. No stamp, no address, nothing. Just the note. A note? What does it say? Well, the fellow used up a lot of words he didn't need, but the gist of the thing is I'm supposed to close down the plant or suffer the consequences. Uh, Maybe that isn't a bad idea, Mr. Barton, if it'll stop these killings. Well, it'll be a cold day in the furnace room when I close up. Of course, I might get out from under, work some sort of deal so I wouldn't lose any money. Yeah, you might do that. Whoever it was had been waiting out on the fire escape. The bullet thudded into the back of my best chair, and I got on behind it, wondering which drawer I'd left my gun in this time. After a while, when nothing happened, I sneaked to look around the arm of the chair. Diamond, what's all the noise? There was no one there. Diamond. And then I realized Big Ed Barton was still talking. Hear me, Diamond? Speak up. What's going on over there anyway? What do you think? Oh, this place gives me the creeps at night, Diamond. Especially way up here. No one around. Just a lot of machinery. Yeah. And what are we looking for, anyway? Oh, I just wanted to have another look at this railing, Steve. By the way, uh, where were you when I dropped by your place? Just getting some air. I didn't know you were going to come by. Hey, couldn't we let this go till morning? I don't like it around here when it's quiet like this. Why not? I just don't, that's all. (laughs) You know, you look pretty good in a suit, Steve. You ought to wear one more often. Oh, uh, thanks, Diamond. You really think so? Yeah, Never know to look at you now that you were just a foreman in the factory. Just a foreman? That's your job here at the plant, isn't it, Steve? But, uh, 
Does it ever bother you working so many years for a guy who doesn't appreciate it? Especially now that the big contracts have started to come in, Ed's pulling in all the gravy, and you're still nothing but a foreman. Quit saying that, will you? Quit saying I'm nothing but a foreman. Why not? It's true, isn't it, Steve? There's nothing wrong with being foreman. It's a very important job. I got charge of every piece of equipment, every man. But not charge of the plant. Isn't that right, Steve? Someone else has charge of the plant. Well, what if he has? Next to him, I'm the boss. That's right, Steve. Next to him, you're the boss. Well, suppose I told you he isn't the boss. What if I told you I was in partnership with Big Ed? What would you think of that? I'd think it was kind of funny, Steve. Oh, funny, is it? Well, that's the way it is. You can ask him if you don't believe me. He'll tell you. I mean, it's kind of funny you're still wearing overalls and living in a boarding house when Big Ed has a mansion and a couple of servants. Doesn't add up, Steve. No, not now it doesn't, but it will. The partner's entitled to full rights, isn't he? Big Ed kept promising me. All these years, he's been promising me. Promising you what, Steve? As soon as the money started coming in. As soon as things picked up, I could get out of the plant. I could wear a suit on the job. Meet people. Mm. Why should Barton promise you that? Because we're partners, that's why. We went in 50-50. When, Steve? When did you go in 50-50? Almost 15 years ago. Down at the old place. I used to work the forge. Ed'd go out and get the jobs. He got to talk to the people. All I ever got to do was handle the forge. Mm, I think I understand, Steve. And then because he got the jobs, he thought he was entitled to more than I was. He said it was all his doing. I was just working for him. He put me on a salary. Made me work in the plant. Well, what do you hope to get out of all this? Hating Big Ed is all right, Steve, but if he closes up the plant, you'd be out of a job. But I won't be out of a job. I'll be in charge then. I'm a partner, ain't I? All right, Steve. We can go back down now. Down? Down where? Where are you taking me? Downtown. To talk to some people. You mean the... Police? That's right. And, Steve, just in case you've still got that gun, I think it's only fair to tell you that this time I've got one, too. Kind of quiet tonight, Rick. Yeah, kind of quiet, Helen, honey. Is it because you owe me 1,369 toothpicks? Well, that could have something to do with it. Then I'll get the cards and give you a chance to even the score. Are you kidding? We'll be here for six months. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Come to think of it, nothing. Then leave us get the show on the road. While you sing me a song, I'll set up the card table. Oh, Helen, you are just too good to me. Ain't it the truth? Fella comes home from the office. He's tired, needs comforting. And there you are. I just don't deserve someone like you. Wait a minute. You're reading the wrong part. Oh. Maybe you'd just better sing, huh? Yeah, maybe I better. I cried for you. Now it's your turn to cry over me. Every road has a turning. That's one thing you're learning. I cried for you. What a fool. I used to be Now I found two eyes Just a little bit bluer I found a heart Just a little bit truer I cried you 
Now it's your turn to cry over me. Where'd the trombone come from? I played it with my feet. Abe Lincoln taught it to me. Gosh. Gosh? Gosh, and a whole lot of G's. Sometimes, Richard, you really get to me. Now, steady, girl. Richard, my fool, kiss me. Oh, well, here. This is a kiss? Oh, honey, after all, I'm, I'm, I'm tired, sleepy, worn out, bushed, beat. Had a busy day. You must have had a busy week. When I say a kiss, I mean a kiss. Come here. Now, that's what I mean when I say... Rick. Rick, what's wrong? Well, it serves me right. I'm going to have to get myself a younger detective. Dick Powell will return in just a moment. No other cigarette has Camel's rich, full flavor and cool, cool mildness. That's because Camel's costly tobaccos are properly aged and expertly blended for flavor and mildness, for true smoking enjoyment. Yes, and it's one of the reasons why Camel is America's most popular cigarette, by billions of cigarettes per year. Are you smoking the cigarette that's enjoyed most in America? If not, start your own 30-day camel test tonight. It's a sensible test of cigarette mildness, based on steady smoking. Here's all you do. Smoke only camels for the next 30 days. You'll soon see how rich, how flavorful a cigarette can be, and you'll discover why camel is America's most popular cigarette. How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, to help bring pleasure to hospitalized veterans and members of our armed forces, the makers of Camel cigarettes send thousands of packs of Camels to veterans and military hospitals every week. This week's gift Camels are on their way to Veterans Hospitals Dwight, Illinois and Whipple, Arizona. Rapid City Air Force Hospital, Rapid City, South Dakota. And to all hospitals operated by the Far East Command of the U.S. Army. Now until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond was written by Ty Cobb with music by Frank Worth. Virginia Gregg was heard as Helen Asher. Others in the cast were Raymond Burr, Jack Moyles, Jess Kirkpatrick, Joe Duval, and Alan Reed. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Be sure to listen to another great camel show, Vaughn Monroe and the Camel Caravan, every Saturday night. Many, many millions of Americans enjoy cigarettes regularly. One thing about cigarettes that many smokers may not realize is that more than half the money we pay for our smokes goes for taxes. Yes, that's right. Eight cents of the price of every pack we buy goes to the federal government. And three or four cents more in most states goes for state or city cigarette taxes. So that actually means that better than half the price you pay for cigarettes goes for tax. Listen next week for another exciting adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. Now stay tuned, for this is your FBI, followed immediately by Ozzie and Harriet over most of these stations. That's the show for this week. Hope you enjoyed our selections this time. You can find more from Richard Diamond, Barry Craig, past episodes of Case Closed, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. Our Shoutcast stream is up and running there as well with even more old-time radio. And don't forget, if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, help keep them coming every week, 
visit donate.relicradio.com or click on the donate link on the website. Your support makes it happen. Thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Talk to you again next Wednesday with another hour of old-time radio crime on Case Closed. Thank you.